Real Fun DC. So good you'll eat it up. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hey everybody, it's Nikki Nellis and welcome to a, another episode of Industry Night on Real Fun DC. I want to thank you all for joining me today. Um, as you know, we record this show a little bit in advance, so it's just the day after inauguration. So um, it's kind of hard to keep my excitement in. Every time I hear somebody say President Biden, I, I literally start to tear up. I'm just, I'm not used to it yet. So um I have a sigh of relief. I hope you do too. And if you don't, I'm really sorry. I, I, we're just we're just gonna have to agree to disagree on that one. Um, but there is so much going on in the DC food and wine scene, and um, I am here once again to share it all with you. Um, as you all know, inauguration was a real cluster for the restaurant community, which means they lost a tremendous amount of money. I mean, that's a huge money maker for the. DC in general, but restaurants and hotels are really struggling as it already is because of the pandemic. So as I tell you on every show, I'm going to tell you in the beginning, I'm going to tell you in the end, buy gift cards, give them out to friends. Valentine's Day is coming up. It's a great gift. Do a neighborhood swap, which I do with my neighborhood every month. We all buy a bunch of gift cards and then we swap them with each other. It's just a great way to introduce people to do new restaurants and also invest in restaurants either in your hood or around the DC metro area. Um, and I have something very exciting to talk about. Um, later in the show, we're talking to Kathy Hollinger. We have a new partnership with REMW. Uh, every like week or so, Kathy is going to pop on just to give us a status of what's happening with restaurants um, in the DC metro area. As you know, as of today, Thursday, uh, restaurants can only do outdoor and to go. But as of tomorrow, Friday, um, which will be last Friday when you hear this, 25% um, capacity is going to be allowed in the DC metro area, which means if you're comfortable to eat inside, you now will have that opportunity. So yay, go eat out. Um, so if you're just listening to me and you have no idea who I am, let me back up a bit. I'm Nikki Nellis. I've been covering the DC food and wine scene for the last 18 years. You can follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S. I have a website called thelistareyouwanna.com. It covers everything happening in the DC food and wine scene, including events, which are happening on the regular. Virtual events, wine tastings, cheese tasting, demos, cooking classes, etc. Also, Restaurant Week is coming up. Uh, you need to check out everything going on there. If you're looking to do outdoor dining, so many fabulous ways that you can uh, dine outside. We have every yurt, igloo, and parklet listed. Um, and of course, Valentine's Day is coming up. So get ready. We have a list for you as well. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Kathy Hollinger is joining us. She's going to be joining us periodically uh, to talk about the status of the restaurant industry. Kathy, as of today, we re we pre-record the show, so this is Thursday, the day after inauguration. Uh, there is no indoor dining in the DC metro area. What's the status of that? So yes, Nick. You know we are we have been in this uh, pause in Washington DC with indoor dining. We've been in this holding pattern for a few weeks, and it was tied more to what happened on January sixth and preparing for inauguration than it was any notion that it was an increase in cases. As of January 22nd, which is Friday at 5 a.m., 
that uh, indoor dining pause will be lifted and restaurant operators in DC will be allowed to operate at 25% capacity indoors. And what does that look like for a restaurant? What does 25%, I mean, I know restaurants differ in sizes and et cetera, but what, what does that look like? Yeah, so, you know, had this question been asked five months ago, six months ago, seven months ago, we would have all said that 25%, what does that really do for anyone? It's more difficult to operate a restaurant. What we found out in the winter is that 25% is critical because it allows some flexibility in terms of option for the diner and for the operator to not only utilize what is outdoor on a milder day, let's say 41 degrees um, versus a 25 degree evening or 30 degree evening. So 25% at least allows for some level of indoor dining capability, particularly as diners are hopefully starting to feel more confidence as they are making their way around um, eating, eating out. Right. Right. And, you know, I think, listen, it's all a calculated risk and people are doing the best they can and supporting the restaurants, as I say on every show, is really, you know, priority one. If you can, please support. It's so important. Um, what are some recommendations you can make to, uh, you know, fellow foodies, people who really want to support the dining industry? What are some ways that they can do this other than just going in? Yeah, I think that, you know, they, we have seen our restaurant uh, operators be incredibly com in innovative. Sorry, I've been saying, I've been talking too much. They've been incredibly creative, incredibly innovative, and they're really trying to find ways to meet the diner where they are, where they feel comfortable. So they're offering everything that they would normally offer indoor on-premise the same kind of experience to go, whether it is their food menu items, whether it is their cocktail menu items, they want to be able to still provide that experience for that loyal diner who loves to support. So for that diner, know that these restaurants have created many ways in which you can plug in and support in a way that you are comfortable, whether that is curbside pickup, whether that is takeout delivery, whether that is on-premise dining outside, or whether it is the limited indoor dining that they offer with a socially distanced footprint, they have every possible option available to the diner to ensure that that public trust remains. Well, I think that's so great. And I do wanna remind anybody who does dine inside, or even if you're dining outside, when that server comes over, put your mask on because it's all about keeping everybody safe. Um, Restaurant Week is launching, um, yes. and you guys have really turned it around to make it accommodating to both restaurants and patrons, which obviously is so important right now. So what does Restaurant Week, Winter Restaurant Week 2021, what does it look like this year? Yes, you know, it's somewhat of a, um, you know, updated in terms of season updated version of what we did in the summer, right? We knew that more people were comfortable eating outdoors than they were indoors, but there were many that also dined indoors. Again, it's meeting the diner where they are emotionally, where they feel comfortable, what they feel comfortable doing. So yes, we had to delay it 
And again, that delay was tied more to the inability and um, the lack of access to get around over the last week. So we pushed it one week. It starts on Monday. People are really excited. And the promotion is, is based on all of the things that you would experience with Restaurant Week normally, but in a way that you are comfortable, whether it is picking up, getting delivery, dining in your backyard, dining in your front yard with a couple neighbors, or whether it's going on premise and having that experience at the restaurant. We have created every possibility so that diners can participate in one of their favorite um, promotions during the year. And did you find that restaurants, like did lots of restaurants sign up this year? Because, you know, you would think because it is, um, it's a less expensive way at dining at a lot of these restaurants. It's sort of a gateway, if you'll allow me, you know, like sort of like a gateway drug, like come and try us and then come back and pay full price. So were as many people interested in participating this year because of, you know, the need to make more money? Yeah, it was it, you know, Nikki, it was a really um, interesting process and a mixed bag based on timing. There was so much that was changing as we were pushing out that restaurant week was going to happen in the winter. We knew for sure that operators felt the need to have this promotion. It was the timing that was more questionable. But interestingly, you know, we have over 225 restaurants participating in the program. I mean, that's what we have normally during a typical cycle. January is a tough year for restaurants, period. Right. Pre-COVID, COVID has only added 10, 11, 12 layers of complexity on top of that. Restaurants need support, period. The promotion is two weeks long gives a little bit of time for those restaurants who may not have been able to reopen immediately with indoor dining to give them a couple days so that there's a longer stretch for the promotion, both on the restaurant owner side and uh, the diner side. And what are the prices this year? How does it break down? Yeah. So it's $22 for lunch. Mm -hmm. It's $35 for dinner. Um, it is, we also have family meals, uh, which you know was a big piece of what we did in the summer. Yeah. Um, and those family meals are based on the $35 dinner, $35 dinner menu. Family meals would be 60 for two, 120 for four. But we also have a $55 dinner promotion for some restaurants that are Finding, finer dining that have not typically done restaurant week in the past because the dollar didn't work for them in terms of pricing. Right. So there's also, depending on that upgrade, there is $55 dinner menu, family meals, it would be for two, $100, for four, $200. Wow. But if you just want to pick up for you and someone else, these price points are not to be, I mean, you can't beat these price points. And restaurants need the support more than ever. So please dine out, eat up and dine out the way that you feel comfortable dining out, whether it's in your home or out. Well, I think that is um, excellent advice. Where can people sort of stay in touch with um, obviously everything happening for restaurant week, but because it's constantly changing with the pandemic, indoor, outdoor, you know, where's the best place for people to stay in touch on all of that? Yeah, the best place to stay in touch really on what's happening on the 
operation front, but also with all the promotions that are happening is our website at remw.org. You will see through the website that we have many listings of, you know, frequently asked questions about dining, compliance, uh, what, what jurisdiction has what capacity limits, but also around all the promotions that are happening all across the region. Yes, in January, but going forward. Which is great because there's more coming up, right? I mean, Valentine's Day is around the corner, Super Bowl. I mean, just because there's a pandemic doesn't mean you don't have to eat. And so, you all, right. You right. always have to eat. You always have to eat, period. Well, all right, Kathy, thank you so much for joining me. We'll see you in two weeks. You'll come back. You'll give us the latest update. Up next, we're talking to the team from Neighborhood Restaurant Group, opening up a food hall during a pandemic. We'll talk about the roost. Thanks again to Kathy Hollinger for joining us and for that RAMW report. Um, hopefully every week or so she'll be back to keep us posted on the status of the pandemic and how it affects how you dine and how it affects the restaurants. Okay, so up next, the future of food halls. What does that look like? And why would anybody in their right mind open up a food hall in the middle of a pandemic? Well, I have a good friend coming in to talk about that because he and his team did it. Uh, Michael Bavin, the principal at Neighborhood Restaurant Group, he's been on this show 100,000 times. Uh, Greg Engert, also a partner in this project, who has also been on the show 100,000 times. And somebody new who I don't know at all, but he's a part of the project. His name is Yvonne Medina, and he is going to fill us in on his role as the culinary operator for uh, The Roost. So we're talking about The Roost. It's this new project that Neighborhood Restaurant Group uh, launched uh, several months ago um, in this fabulous building uh, called the Blackbird Apartments. And, um, but I'm gonna back up a little bit because years and years and years ago, maybe 15 years ago, I was sitting at a table with Greg Engert and Michael Babin and a couple other people from NRG. Uh, and Michael laid out his plan of a DC food hall. This is pre-union market days. And he had this whole plan and the area and everything. And at that time it was a very under undeveloped area. And I remember looking at him being like, yeah, I'm not coming. <laughs> I will not be joining you in this venture. Um, and I would have been in incredibly wrong. When I look back, I had no foresight. I had no idea what I was talking about. So I appreciate that you put me on that, that discussion, uh, but I was really off. Um, so Michael, I want to start with you because you have been, you've been food hall hungry for a long time. I, we, I have been, yeah. Uh, you know, I think I'm, I, it's hard to even remember. I think it was a trip to the ferry building, you know, a long time ago mm -hmm. that was a real wake up call. It just made me, it, it was inspiring, you know, in terms of what could be done, what could be put together in a single, a single space, a single set of experiences that, you know, if it's done right, can feel different every time you go and can be, you know, something that uh, works for uh, so many different uh, needs that the community might have. So, <clears throat> and, um, you know, that got me excited. And you're right, when we were talking about it, and uh, look, thank God for me that uh, for all of us that we didn't do that project, that was going to be a 40,000 square foot on the waterfront would have been amazing. Uh, mm -hmm. But we would have gone from zero to 250 miles per hour. Uh, and I think that we've, you know, the, the extra time and, and uh, with the roost, I think we've kind of moved at an appropriate pace. Um, so, uh, but we certainly love the genre. And we think that it's still in its infancy. Um, 
still going to evolve. Well, I think that's an interesting uh, thing to say, given that there has, well, I, I, there has been a lot of food halls that have opened. I mean, it is a national trend. Yes. Um, and I know you guys want to call the roost um, a culinary clubhouse, which I totally get. But, you know, if people want to put you in a round hole, they're going to put you in the round hole no matter what. So what was your vision for this? How did you want to lay out a food hall concept um, that spoke to you? Yeah, well, you know, we, we what we loved about food halls and I, what I think most people, you know, respond to, the reason there is this this trend has happened is is the, the, the variety, the dynamism of the spaces, all the cool, you know, the, the potential to have a series of, of uh, wonderful discoveries, you know, uh, in, a, in a single space. Um, but we, were, we have been very disappointed <laughs> by most of the food halls um, around the country. And we feel like one of the things that gets lost in most of these places is there's not enough of an emphasis really on culinary, on, on real, you know, culinary expertise and quality sometimes. Um, they don't, they don't, they don't really set these things up as hospitality spaces. You know, these are high friction environments. People do not go in expecting any service and that's good because they don't get any. Um, so we, we really felt like, uh, you know, there's no beverage is generally an afterthought, you know, at best. Um, so well, we thought, and, and they're, they're built for lunchtime, you know, in a high office area. Isn't beverage considered the moneymaker? Isn't yeah. there, don't most food uh, halls center I know, Greg, I'm already popping into you, but don't most food halls center around some sort of alcoholic beverage motivator as the thing that's going to really well, bring in the money? So, some do, but I think if you look historically, and even like in New York, you have more food halls than any other city in the country by far. Um, but, you know, you look at those, how many of those are open late? How many of those are open after 7.30? I mean, very few. So, you know, beverage, generally speaking, the way that these food halls operate is they're kind of like malls, you know, they're run by a developer, mm -hmm. developer signs a bunch of leases and says, you guys go for it. And so if you have 30 vendors and each of them is said, you know, hey, do your own beverage program, each of them does a tiny beverage program that has to hit the middle of the target. There's no room to be exceptional because they're all fighting to hit the middle of the road, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, you know, we started, you know, one of the major things, and Greg can speak to, is that, of course, we always think a lot, very hard about beverage. And uh, we started off saying, look, we're gonna anchor this place with two bars, each of which will be really exceptional, amazing bars in their own right. We're gonna start with a premise that this is not a place for lunch time uh, for a high business traffic, you know, high uh, office area. It's going to be a place that really cranks in the evening. It's going to be a hub for a community, a neighborhood. Mm. Uh, and that's very different than the way most food halls are conceived. Well, and so let's jump to Greg for a minute. And then I think some of the questions that I had more for you, Michael, really probably belong to everybody. So Greg, um, beverage director and partner in Neighborhood Restaurant Group. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, think of you as just a beer guy because you know your knowledge is so vast um but you know when you took over this project or partnered with michael on this project um you handled 
everything, cocktails, co the coffee program, mm -hmm. which is massive uh, with nausea. Um, how did you, how did you get into all of that? How did you layer it on, on top? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I've always had uh, an interest in all uh, alcoholic beverages. I think it's safe to say. So uh, while I may have focused on craft beer uh, and things like that, I've always been uh, obsessed with spirits and cocktails and wine and uh, coffee, even things like, like sake, which we've been able to get into more so uh, with Akko at the Roost as well. Um, so this project was really exciting for, for me um, to unify all of those concepts together and work in so many different fields with so many different uh, talented people. You mentioned Nazia Khan, who's our coffee director, but obviously Nick Farrell, our spirits director, working with him on, uh, on his amazing cocktail program and the natural wine program that we have at Show of Hands, uh, even working uh, with Brittany Anderson on her juices at Lenny. So just the, the opportunity to kind of work in each of these um, you know, fields, but then draw them all together. I mean, if you look at what we're doing at the Roost, it's not just great beer and, and great cocktails and, and you know, great coffee. There's certainly a narrative underlying all, all of these beverages. And I think that ties them together. Um, you know, we wanted to, to showcase beverages that are socially responsible, environmentally responsible. Um, we want you to kind of make an impact with every sip that you take, um, but also, we wanted to work with the food hall idea of grazing and eating across many different um, menus and drinking maybe in longer sessions. So really going for that low alcohol angle on beer and cocktail specifically has been a really fun way uh, to pursue the project. Well, that leads us, I mean, one of the things that we really need to talk about is curation of the concepts. Um, but before we take a break, I, I do want to throw to Yvonne Medina, who is the culinary operator of the group. So you're the only one here I don't know. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you came from. And um, I don't know what okay. you're doing here. So um, if you'll just give us uh, a brief 101 on your role there, that would be really helpful. Not a problem at all. And uh, first of all, thanks for thanks for having me and the, and the rest of us. Um, I'm glad to be here. So um, yeah, I've actually been in DC um, for about uh, since about 2013, um, I uh, came from a small college town um, in Auburn, Alabama, of all places. Um, actually, been cooking for about 15 years now. Uh, quit school to start cooking. Uh, made the ambitious decision to um, quit my senior year to begin my culinary career, and um, here I am. So, you know, I, I um, I'm at least proud of where where I've gotten to. Um, once I moved to DC, I actually moved to DC to work with Think Food Group uh, in Jose Andres, and that's where I pretty much earned my er, earned my chops and uh, here in the city and um, bounced around different restaurants in that in that group. Haleo Mini Bar, um, actually worked with them in Vegas for a little while um, at their tasting uh, counter there, um, and came back worked with um, uh, Chef Michael Costa at Zaitinia. Um, Yvonne, I'm going to interrupt you. As much as I yeah. love your resume, we don't have time for the whole thing. Oh, okay. So sorry, sorry. What I would like to know is, is that now that you have done all that, what led mm -hmm. you to the roost? Okay. So yeah, actually, um, I have been wanting to get out uh, and do something unique and different. And a recruiter actually approached me, um, you know, and what I was looking for was to be, um, you know, not just basically like a, a running one single kitchen. I wanted something that I could operate on a vast scale. 
something that was going to be unique, something that was going to be part of the community and have that sort of uh, that broader reach uh, when it came to the, the type of clientele uh, that we wanted to cater to. Um, so once I heard about this, I knew that A, it was going to be an opportunity to build something from the ground up, uh, which I've opened restaurants before. Uh, we all have, but this was particularly unique because you know, we wanted to bring something to the table that A, nobody was, was expecting and, and also something that, um, that the neighborhood could really grasp, uh, you know, put their hands on. Um, so, you know, I knew it was going to be a daunting task, you know, especially opening in a pandemic and, and, you know, being under all these restrictions and how we were able uh, to get our message out there, you know, get the word out about us, um, sort of that we keep referring to our grassroots campaign um you know we've had to think out of the box to to basically introduce ourselves to everyone um and you know the partnership with the blackbird health as well which uh, i'm sure we will touch on um well all right yeah. Yvonne, i've got to cut you off i'm so sorry but we have to mm -hmm. take a quick break okay when we come back we're going to get into the curation of the concept how you found partners to work with, how you decided to pull from the huge neighborhood restaurant group portfolio. Um, this is Nikki Nellis. It's industry night on Real Fun DC. Did you know you can ask Alexa to listen to me? Just say, hey, Alexa, turn on Real Fun DC and you'll hear me. We'll be back in just a sec. It's industry night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. Industry night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. And we're back, Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. You can follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Not really Facebook, because I don't like it, but Instagram and Twitter, definitely. So we are talking about the future of food halls with the people who are making food halls happen in the DC area. Uh, neighborhood restaurant group. We have Michael Babin, Greg Engert, and Yvonne Mantina. I want to thank you guys again for joining me. So Michael, curation of a concept like this one of the things you said in the beginning of the show was that when you went to food halls you weren't seeing the kinds of things that you were looking for right. that it it was sort of some things were just sort of added in like oh you got to have something seafood or you know what i mean or you got to have empanadas you know like right. people were just basing it off of what they saw at other places and what looked successful right. um, and you guys also have a huge you have restaurants you already have right. you know a stable mm -hmm. um so how did you guys figure that out? Well, you know, we always start with the neighborhood. And, you know, if we if we had gone into a different neighborhood in D.C., you know, uh, we might have, we probably would have curated the mix in a different way. Mm -hmm. We do have a benefit. We are a company that over the years is constantly, you know, inventing a new concept, coming up with something different. We, you know, our bread and butter is working with talented uh, kitchen people like Yvonne, talented chefs, and crafting uh, concepts around their passions and what they're great at. When we looked at the neighborhood and we, we, we talked it over internally, and then we started reaching out to a, a small group of people, uh, you know, that we wanted to engage from outside the group. Mm -hmm. And we also, you know, made the decision early on to, we, we're operators. So, you know, when we, we, we understand the, the pros and cons of coming into a project like this, and we tried to remove every con. We made this a no-brainer for the vendors to get involved with by just taking the load and the costs and everything out of, off of their backs and just letting them focus on what they do, doing it exceptionally well. And as Yvonne can attest, we also paid attention to 
we needed, we knew we we're going to have a bunch of different people working on top of one another in a space. We need to have great camaraderie, just great people, you know, just people who are going to create um, a culture in the space that is going to make it a fun place to work, you know, and that, that's a big consideration. Um, so, I think that's an excellent point because, you know, you just need one negative Nelly to poison the well and that, that yes. you know, spreads like a cancer. Absolutely true. And I think if you talked to food hall, you know, developers who've done food halls around the country, you would hear if they're really being honest, you'd hear over and over again that they made one or two bad decisions and it has totally, uh, you know, made it a difficult, much more difficult project than it needed to be. Well, so then um, how did the three of you work together? I mean, let's discuss what's available um, at, at the roots. Like, what are the concepts that people can forward to trying? And I'd like a little background. Like, like let's talk about Cameo, right? I mean, that's just not a coffee shop. That's a real intricate coffee program. Um, why go so hard on it? Well, I think we only have really one speed. Um, for better or worse. And, um, you know, we're always just trying to, we're not doing things to do them. It's always trying to do something singular. And, and to Michael's point, we're looking at the, the local community, but also the broader community. And when we, we met Nausea um, and she joined our group in large part for, for Cameo, um, it was immediately obvious that there was an opportunity to provide a new coffee experience that just did not exist not just in, in Hill East, but also I think in DC, um, you know, a bespoke shop that cared as much about the bottled, or in this case, aluminum um, bottled waters that we sold or kombucha as we did about the beans that we were sourcing, um, as much about the compostable cups and lids um, uh, as we did about uh, the latte art or something like that. So, you know, it was, it was really important for us to make an impact and to, to, tell, that, uh, to tell that story. I think, you know, just generally as a food hall, the beverage component and, and the nighttime component that Michael mentioned earlier flips it on its head, right? I can think of only a couple um, food halls that do beverage kind of the way that we're doing it. Um, Krog Street Market, maybe down in Atlanta or, or Armature Works in Tampa, where you feel like you're supposed to have a drink here. It feels like a unified concept. I always like to say the best food halls are like really, really exceptional bars with tons of amazing food options. And I think that's what we have. Walk around exactly. Or, or you yeah. have a drink. And think about this too. I mean, like if you go to a beer bar, you know, chances are the food's okay. Sometimes it's exceptional, but rarely is, it, or is this yeah, amount say, of- I was going to say, you're crossing a line there. With well, I mean, but rarely do you have this- beer bar with a restaurant. Right, right. Well, I mean, present company excluded, but I think that like, <laughs> Rarely do you have the option to get world-class pizza, world-class tacos, world-class sushi. I mean, and uh, on and on and on with that. And just think about the pairing possibilities that go along with that as well. Um, it's just, it's something I think a lot of people just don't realize. Well, I feel like because we're doing a little insider baseball here, because we all know the concepts and we know what's available. So Yvonne, why don't you tell us if you can briefly tell us about each concept and like a line about what it is so that we can sort of dig in deep on like some of the offerings and why, you know, why you worked with some of these partners. So first off, we have Lenny, our all-day German cafe with Chef Brittany Anderson from Richmond. We have uh, everything from early morning breakfast to a quick lunch uh, with more composed dishes. Next up, we have Slice Joint uh, by Chef Rachel Marie, which is 
one of our existing properties in New York, brought her down here for Pizza by the Slice and also her wonderful, wonderful square pie. Uh, next up, uh, we have uh, one of our newest opening, our latest opening, Yoko and Coda, with Chef Everett Brenner Yang, uh, local talent here in DC. Uh, dumplings, noodles, and great, great, great Chinese barbecue. Uh, right after that, we have another well known chef out of DC, Nate Anda. Uh, two concepts with us uh, that's Red Apron, which is obviously a well known staple here in town, uh, and also Hi Fi Taco. Uh, tacos, nachos, uh, queso dip, all the light. And last, one of our uh, other partnerships, um, ACO, which Greg touched on, a uh, uh, sushi spot uh, by the partners uh, Aki and Ken, uh, who operate at Silver Spring um, and brought their talents down here. Um, and then soon to be opening uh, later on in 2021, fingers crossed, is Caruso's, um, our Italian sort of more sit-down spot uh, by Chef Matt Right, which is, so, but is that considered part of the food hall, the restaurant? The yes, restaurant? yes, absolutely. I mean, it will have its own kind of uniqueness to it, and that's going to be the only quote-unquote sit-down space, mm -hmm. um, but we are still going to offer their items out in the hall as well to a degree. Got it. Okay, so let's, so you have all these um, offerings, right? It's a real variety, but you sort of took some from within, and then you sourced some from without. Why, why source from, why hit Eric Brenner Yang? Why, uh, why, you know, bring somebody in from Silver Spring? Why not just recreate the wheel yourself? Well, we, uh, you know, when we felt like we had somebody in house with the passion, the drive, the expertise to do something exceptionally well, then that's where the way we went and where we felt like uh, there was an advantage and we could bring a new somebody new to the table like Brittany, who's fantastic and not available. If you, if you ever go to Richmond and eat out, you're going to eat at one of her places and be blown away. Uh, Eric is just one of the best people in the in the industry. And you know, I, I mentioned before about choosing carefully with personality as well as skill, yeah. uh, he hits both the marks. And, and we, we had been talking to him for a while. It was clear that there was something cool that he could do here that would be a different, something that he had not done before. So uh, that, was an, that was an easy decision. And, uh, and sushi is a very, very specific thing. And, you know, it's not, you know, you, you don't, uh, it's not just something, uh, you know, a great, chef you know can't just say well now i'm going to go do my sushi thing i mean that requires a lot of commitment and expertise i don't that, think everybody knows that though i mean yeah. you know in the industry it's known but like a lot of restaurants if they're not doing well they're like well let's put some sushi on the menu because yeah. <laughs> sushi you know but hmm. there doesn't it's not going to make you do well because if you're not serving good sushi or if you don't know what you need to do to have good sushi it's not going to help you Right. Well, there's an ocean of mediocre sushi out there. And then there's a small amount of exceptional uh, sushi. It's rare. Um, and um, yeah, so uh, we, we wanted to do that really uh, exceptionally well. And we went out and hunted down and found uh, Aki and Ken. Uh, we're fortunate enough to have them join the, join the team. So. So, okay, and then Hi Taco, you have Nate, obviously. Yeah. Um, so you bring all these people in and you want this really different experience. Um, and I, I know that tech is really important to you all and you were sort of a little bit ahead of the game here when it came to tech because now all these restaurants had to scramble to insert tech, uh, delivery, et cetera, into their 
um, into how they were going to do business. But you guys were already thinking about that. What was the experience? Because I could relate my own experience of being in food halls. I mean, why sometimes it didn't work for me. But what was it that you went through that you were like, I would like the experience to feel like this? Yeah, well... Like I said before, it is a high friction. Going into most food halls is a high friction environment. You know, you walk into an urban space location uh, in New York and, you know, you pick a line to stand in. You know, you get up there, you got 30 seconds, get that order in, and then you want wait around for them to call your name. And then you go try to find your friends who maybe have been able to find a table, maybe not. You know, it is not an experience. Uh, it's not dining. It's eating. Um, and so we really knew, we knew that the flip side of all of this variety is that it needs to be accessible. You know, it needs to be easily accessible. And we knew from the beginning that we wanted people to be able to come in and if they wanted to browse around and stand in front of the counter, they could do that. That's fun sometimes. But if they wanted to just take a seat and start enjoying themselves, having fun with friends and have access from their table controlled by them, not controlled by a server, uh, controlled by them, access to every single thing that we sell in the place. Uh, we wanted them to have that as well. And yeah, it was very strange when the pandemic hit. And, you know, on the, on the one hand, this thing that was going to be new for us was suddenly being, you know, other people were starting to do it. But in a way, it was a really good thing because we didn't have as much of a learning curve for our guests. You know, they kind of understood how to make sense. And we've learned so much about a service model, building a service model around the tech so that in a way, you know, we, we, we have people on the team whose sole job is just helping people. You know, they don't take orders in general, unless, they, unless, a, unless a guest wants to take, have them take their order. They're not running food. They're just out there watching and trying to provide service, solve problems and make sure people are having a great time. Well, that speaks to me greatly only because, you know, I, I'm easily overwhelmed in a food hall. Yeah. You know, there's so much there and I want a little bit of everything, but I want to make sure I get a seat and I want to have a drink. And, you know, at food halls where people are not all partnered, you can't take a glass. Like if I was having a drink at one area, yeah. but I wanted to order food from another, I couldn't take my glass over there because that glass belonged Yes. Place where I was right. getting a drink. You know what I mean? Like they didn't, they weren't, that to me was so silly. Like why well, would we have the same glassware? That was the other thing I think we were trying to do was to get rid of silly rules that seem to pop up in these environments and make it easier for everyone to get that drink as quickly as possible, to get the food that they want, to get the seat, and then to have uh, ambassadors is what we're calling them, available to answer your questions and make your experience even better than you expected. Right. Okay. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about like opening up a place in a pandemic and what that structure looks like and how you guys were able to work it out. Also your partnership with the um, apartment building, which I think is really interesting. This is Nikki Nellis, Industry Night on Real Fun DC. Ask Alexa to hear me. We're on every Tuesday at 7 p.m. We'll be back in just a sec. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis, Real Fun DC. Hey, and we're back on Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. That's me. We are talking about the future of food halls. It was a national trend, felt like it was on pause, but the people from Neighborhood Restaurant Group said, hold my beer, watch us. 
So uh, Michael Bavin, Greg Angert, and Yvonne Medina are on with me right now. Um, we just got through talking about their technology, but Michael or Greg or Yvonne, why don't you explain what the technology is? Do I, am I, is it, do I take a photo of it? How do I, how do I walk my way through the roost? Greg, you want to take it? Sure. Um, so when you sit down at the roost um, at a table, or if you walk up to any of our stalls, we have QR codes. And so you just flash your phone at the QR code and it brings up um, the, the menu, uh, which is a series of menus listed right across the top. Uh, we're working with a company named Bebot, um, and with whom we've been working for uh, years now um, as we plan this out. So We've got to kind of grow with them and, and, and the sites grow with us and, and, and grow to meet our needs, which is great. So you see the items you want and it's very simple. I mean, you just, you, you, you simply click right through. The interface is really nice. Select what you want across all of the menus. So whether you want a beer from Shelter, cocktail from Show of Hands, taco from Hi-Fi Taco, pizza slice, doesn't matter. You can create these super orders that then come to you as they're ready. And I think the most incredible part about this whole experience has been the quickness with which we are able to give people their food and beverage. Um, sometimes it seems unnatural because we've just cut out this like uh, the, the intervening uh, experience of the order getting put into uh, the computer and then going here and that. I mean, you order a drink and it's there in uh, a matter of minutes. It's, it's remarkable. And Michael, opening in a pandemic, I mean, you guys, I mean, it's not like you were like, yeah, I wanna open in a pandemic. This project has been in the works for what, three years? It's been happening yeah, yeah. for a while. So um, how did you guys grapple with sort of the enormity of it all? Obviously you have other restaurants and you launched uh, NRG Provisions, which we've talked about um, on this show and my other show, Foodie and the Beast. But how did you guys handle it for this property? Well, we basically took an opening that would normally have happened, uh, you know, in a in a massive, you know, uh, the, the like the climax of the uh, of the fireworks display all going off at once, right? We would have had a, we had a we were gonna have a block party with the bands and we everything open on the same day, you know, pre parties, all the normal things we go through when we open, and we took all of that and we basically stretched it out over months, you know, um, so we opened uh, little by little and gradually you know, unveil, which in a way was kind of nice because we really, we put so much thought and effort into each of these concepts, each of the stalls. And so each of them had their moment, you know, each of them had their week or their, you know, their time to sort of be unveiled and get and, and guests to discover them one at a time. And they had their own space, you know, so it wasn't terrible in that regard. It's always, it's, it's a big complicated operation which requires a tremendous amount of coordination and because of the pandemic, we've had to do it with a small crew, uh, and smaller than we would have otherwise had. And so it has meant that everybody has to be multiple. Everybody's had to do multiple things and really be thoughtful and creative. The menus are a little bit smaller at each stall than they will ultimately be. Uh, they're gonna, as time goes on, they're gonna expand. We, we haven't been able to do the programming. We're gonna be having so much programming in the space once everything is over and we can have groups of people in there. Um, but, uh, you know, it's been tricky and I say that, and we've had to be very flexible and pivot repeat. I mean, I hate the word pivot now. I know I, we need to come up. We all need to come up with a new word. I mean, I yeah. can't even I feel like if I say pivot on the show, everybody should just drink. But at some <laughs> point, People are just going to be, you know, 
drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm sorry that I, I used no, it. That's okay. But, drink. Everybody drink. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the thing is, uh, yeah, we had to we had to come up with there were some new challenges, but some of it was a lot easier to be honest. I mean, I, I remember at one point during the opening of Shelter, looking at Michael and being like, "This is the easiest thing ever," because we simply could not be overrun. Yeah, people. Um, the other thing that's interesting is that, you know, DC, like so many jurisdictions started to permit retail alcohol sales. And that's been massive for us, especially as we've lost indoor dining recently. Um, we've created a, a bottle shop within shelter that has allowed us to continue to, to purvey um, great beverages in the neighborhood and beyond. So that's been, that's been really cool. But like, you know, delivery, takeout. I mean, I think we all hoped it was going to be amazing, but we had no idea it was going to be the very lifeblood of the business. Now, when um, you guys, but when you were putting the food hall concept together, pre-pandemic, were you thinking there will be to-go options? Were you, because you were building the tech, were you thinking yeah. we may yeah. use it in that capacity? We had definitely thought about it. And what, and what we had built into the plans from the beginning was a single place where if you place a, a, an order to go, whether you do it remotely or on site, all of the food is assembled. You don't have to track around at each of the different yeah. stalls to pick up your one thing. You get a message and your entire order is assembled and ready to be handed over. So we had thought about it and that, that's, that I think is a major, you know, again, just trying to remove the friction. <laughs> the use, make exactly. the use of oh, it's brilliant. I mean, yeah. I really do. <laughs> Like I said, I find a lot of food halls very overwhelming because I want my seat and I want my drink, but I want to go to different places. But, it, you know, like it should be, it should be easier. It so this makes easy. sense, yeah. you know? Yeah, for sure. It, well, should, it should feel like a uh, like one place as much as it feels like a compartmentalized assort, assortment of, of different places. And I think too often that's where the, the food court moniker has been applied and in, in fairly in some cases because there is no unification of concept. You do have to kind of, it's a free for all one by one by one by one. And we are really striving to make it feel like the roost is one four wall business. Um, that's really easy to navigate. Yeah. I, I think that's an excellent point because I think when you look at other food halls, even nationally, even some of the really good ones, look, you know, that the, what's missing is the hospitality, right? And what's missing is the, the, the group love, right? That people work, with each other um that because if if the concept next to you is doing well you will do well like i mean it all right. spreads right yeah. but I, that that can be missing sometimes um let's talk about the apartment building why open up a space in an apartment building to me that seems fraught with difficulties well you know we're in, in as operators you know we're always working with you know the uh uh the owners of real estate. I mean, we have, you know, dozens of leases. And during the pandemic, we learned a lot about our landlords and learned sometimes those were <laughs> happy surprises and sometimes they were not. But um, but it's, it's, it's so critical. And a lot of what we do is we make real estate more valuable. You know, we make real estate, uh, we create value in real estate. So this was a type of partnership that we had been pursuing for a long time. And I really have to take my hat off to the principles of May Riegler, Eric May, Kevin Riegler, who had the vision to want to do this. The, the idea from the beginning was to do something really special in a neighborhood that didn't have a lot uh, of retail. Tell everybody where it is, because I feel like we keep mentioning it, but we don't give the yeah. address and it's on yeah. Capitol Hill, but let's tell everybody where it is. It's at 14th in Pennsylvania, so 1401 Pennsylvania Ave Southeast. Southeast. 
So it's a neighborhood that is, you know, uh, Barracks Row is kind of the center of gravity for the retail scene and the restaurant scene in that general area, but this is six blocks uh, further east uh, from that. And there's not much around it, you know, um, but there's a... But don't say it like that, because it's not that there's not much around it. It's just incredibly residential. Exactly. No, it's... It's it, residential. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's very city residential. It is. Yeah, absolutely. Just in terms of storefront density, there's not there's not that much around there. And um, but there's more and more people living there. And we really felt like the community would rally around if we did it right, a, a place like the, it, we had a chance. And I think food halls, this is part of the evolution that food halls can become if they're done right in communities, not just again in office areas, you know, that kind of indispensable third place that gives you so many cool options and, and ways to see your see your neighbors feel like a community you know um so that was what excited us about it the partnership like i said they had real vision to take it on and our idea from the beginning was to do this amazing place that would be valued by everybody in the community be worth a trip for people who don't live in the community mm -hmm. but that for the residents it would really we would really work to almost make it like you know ho hotel level amenitization you know whether it's room service just you know, every time we opened the concepts at the Ruse, which we did successively over and over again, the night before we opened, we invited the residents to come down, meet the team, you have some, you know, free food and drink and just become part of the family, you know? And so I think it's pretty cool. Um, excited well, it's about an incredible that. amenity for an apartment building to have that relationship. I, you know, to me, that speaks back to a, an older generation of apartment buildings that had restaurants in them and used them as amenities right and, you know like in the last 20 years yeah there's plenty of apartment buildings and offices with restaurants but there's no relationship right absolutely the residents or occupants of those buildings and that restaurant so it it's it's something that used to happen and it i, I love the idea of it coming back because it i mean first of all i don't know why it wouldn't it makes so much sense right. um so Yvonne, for you in, you know, sort of keeping your hands on everything there and making sure everybody is safe in the pandemic, I've been to the space and it is spacious without a doubt. Um, but how do you make sure everybody stays safe, both your employees and those who come in? So yeah, I mean, obviously we, you know, fix all the, the COVID, um, compliances, you know, masks on, six feet, all that good stuff. We've implemented dividers in front of the stands uh, so that those who do choose to come and do walk-up service, which is something we offer at most of the stalls now, you know, there's still that division between the, the, the cook or the attendant um, and, and the guest. Um, you know, we, um, as to, to Michael's point earlier, um, we do still have a slim staff here. So um, it's been easy to, even in the back of the house uh, and in the prep area itself, to keep everyone spaced out as they're doing their work, because I just simply don't have a very large team right now. Um, so it, it, it's been challenging, of course, at, at times, especially when, you know, say one station gets busy, you know, we all want to flock over there to help out of habit. But, you know, you still have to be respectful of, of, of all the guidelines and make sure that we're keeping everyone safe. But we've, we've managed to do a great job of it. Um, and the staff is, is happy. They, they, you know, work well with us to make sure we're heading in the right direction and it's a good thing. And, and, and what, 
Yes. I want to say real quickly that we, we, we made sure that our HVAC system is replacing the air extremely rapidly. Fresh air, you know, is, is massive through those systems. Mm -hmm. We put in air filters at each table um, and we have humidity controlled in space. Those are really, you know, um, the three factors that are the most, you know, that you really have to pay attention to to keep mm -hmm. the space safe. And you guys also have tremendous outdoor space. We do, yeah. Oh, yeah. So how is that being utilized right now? So we've recently installed a sort of gazebo-like, um, uh, you know, sort of stands outside to, you know, obviously shield everyone from the rain and the cold, uh, but we have heaters uh, warming up our guests. We have fire pits at some of the tables. Um, we, you know, we, we've really been fortunate to take advantage of what we have available to us. I mean, uh, you've seen the space, so you know, but we're as far down Pennsylvania all the way to the entrance of the Blackbird wrapped up all the way around four feet. So, I mean, we've taken every bit of sidewalk space that we can, even right. aside from our, our given patio space. And um, with the 25% being allowed, how does that, how do you, I mean, I talked to Kathy about it, but how do you structure that? How do you do that? I mean, this is just another thing on restaurants to handle. How do you do that? I think we're at a big advantage due to the space that we already have. I mean, even putting, you know, we have booths that are, you know, six feet apart and mm -hmm. it's still, I mean, 25% for us is, is, is not, it, it's not such a much, so much of a detriment because what we have available and we have standing space too. I mean, eventually when this thing is, is full tilt, you know, this thing is going to be sitting and standing uh, all over the place. Um, but even with every plate, with every available seat full, even at 25 to 50%, this place still feels like there's a lot of movement. Right, because it's, it's so spacious. I totally um, agree with that. Um, um, so, all right, well, we have to wrap up the show, but before we do, I would love to hear from each of you. I know it's probably like choosing a child, but um, what's like your favorite thing that you're digging at the roost right now? Like if you were sending me to the roost, Greg, if you're sending me, Michael, if you're sending me, Yvonne, if you're sending me, what are you gonna tell me to get? Because I mean, I already, know what I want, but um, let's tell other people what you're digging these days. Greg, let's start with you. Uh, you're right. That is an impossible question, Nikki. And thank <laughs> you for letting me lead off and answering it. Um, uh, let's see. I, I think uh, um, Parlor Coffee is our partner from Brooklyn um, that, we, that we use for all of our, our coffee at Cameo. Uh, they're very transparent. They have great grower relationships and their coffee is phenomenally sweet, never bitter or acidic. It's wonderful. So always start off with that. Um, not many days go by without a slice of plain cheese pizza from Slice Joint for me, yeah. which is um, uh, not good, but also extremely delicious. is good, but it is not a, a, a slice of pizza a day is maybe not doctor recommended. No, but it's, it's better than the, the amount of drinking that I've been doing during the pandemic. They <laughs> together even worse. But so that's great. And then I think, you know, obviously I love uh, what Aqua's doing. It's so many other things, but um, uh, the carnitas taco that Nate makes with the, the American cheese is incredible. Um, but Nick Farrell's cocktails, mm -hmm. he's figured out a way to properly batch with dilution um, across the board, each of the cocktails. So we can tell you exactly how much alcohol is in each one. And we have cocktails that are 5% alcohol. We have cocktails that are 25% alcohol, like a standard Manhattan. And we can parcel it out in half pours, full pours, any way you want, because everything's pre-batched and frozen uh, or cold, chilled. Um, so that is a 
a huge thing. I haven't seen that done anywhere else. Mm -mm. And I think that it really, really uh, sets show of hands apart. So show of hands is not open, open, but you're able to get access to these. Absolutely. Topics, right? Show of hands is, is, is open by way of shelter. We just really okay. couldn't afford to staff both locations. So we've, we've combined it. So you have the shelter beer list, show of hands, cocktails, and wine all coming out of shelter, but all of the, of the cocktails with Nick's, um, you know, hands all over them. Excellent. Okay, good. All right, Michael, your turn. Well, I'm glad that Greg covered a bunch and I'll have to say, I was actually, I was checking them off your list. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was uh, talking to Eric Winter Yang uh, a couple of days ago and, you know, just told him that uh, it, it partly is because it's the new one, you know, but I mean, I really, I, the last few times I've been in, I'm getting the, his noodles, you know, his uh, handmade noodles with, uh, he's got a few different toppings and they're just really fun and interesting. And yeah, I think great, you know, so I've been enjoying that a lot lately. Mm -hmm. But you know, I, I and the, when um, uh, uh, as winter we rounded into winter and Lenny opened with their with the borscht that she uh, I'm a, I'm a kind of a sucker for that kind of food, um, so uh, I, I enjoy uh, her menu a lot as well. Well, I am a I mean I, I was texting with Eric Bruner Yang right before we got on, and I'm a total fan, obviously. And uh, Brittany was just on Foodie and the Beast talking about Lenny, but having been to her restaurant in uh, Richmond, I'm a huge, huge fan of what she does. Um, plus everything is like covered in cheese and that's where you have exactly. me. Like, yeah. We had a very memorable- I all the melted cheese. Yeah, we <laughs> had a memorable experience down there with that. It was- All the cheeses. <laughs> she rolls out the cheese cart at Brenner Pass. I mean, like that's reason enough. Nobody does that anymore. She is a cheese maven. She's incredible. Oh my God. I think I really, I, I do adore what she does. Okay, Yvonne, since- you're there on property at the moment. Tell us what you would recommend us to try. All right. Well, I mean, first and foremost, I do want to make the point that you can literally spend your whole day with us if you wanted to, to some capacity and get everything from breakfast to, and one place we forgot to mention that I definitely wanted to uh, give a shout out to is State Fair, where we do our okay, ice cream. Yeah. Uh, with uh, Chef Ali Chep out of Buzz Bakery in Alexandria. And, you know, the, the job that she's done has been phenomenal. And although right now it's hibernating for the winter, we've still been able to sell these Sunday packs uh, that have just been phenomenal. Because, I mean, I still want ice cream in the winter. I don't know about you guys, but I still like a, a nice uh, custard. Uh, you know who likes ice cream a lot? Hello, Mr. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, so... And then as far as like, you know, you know, most chefs like the, the kind of what's bad for you food, so to speak. But uh, Nate put on a burger at Red Apron, Chef Nate did, and uh, it's called the Ginsburger. The, the proceeds from it actually go to uh, the ACLU. And it has got, my favorite component about it, it's got Nate's uh, pimento cheese in it. I mean, you can't, you just, you just can't go wrong with it. It's sinfully delicious. I think I eat that as much as I eat the pizza. Just pimento <laughs> cheese. <laughs> Hey, I should have, we should have mentioned too that we also have uh, you know there's a location of shop made in DC in the in the in the roost as well and we did a series of holiday markets uh, that were really uh, just fun you know uh, so it was a the first little tread of, of interior programming that is uh, indicative of the kind of stuff we're going to be doing all the time this week. well I think we should end on that note when you talk about programming some people may think oh well you're just probably going to do programming for people like live in the apartment building but you have bigger plans so let's just quickly look into the future crystal ball it a little bit 
for, um, you know, maybe not just the next couple of months, but hopefully what the new normal will be. Well, like I said, we're, the menus are all going to get a little bit bigger. We're going to have more items. We're going to have more specials. One thing that we, you know, I think in a lot of food halls, everybody, every item is priced so that they, the, the, the vendor is trying to grab all of the check, you know, from every guest. And what we've done is we've made sure that every vendor has small things that you can graze through on a normal, at a normal budget, you know, uh, and we're going to be starting, we'll start doing on weekends, we'll start doing little mini progressive dinners where the different chefs and concepts will collaborate and you'll be able to have beverage pairings with that. So it's really, we're, we've got so many cool ideas that we just had to put on the shelf, you know, um, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, it, it really is. It's, it, it feels like, you know, we've got a Maserati and so far we're just kind of puttering around the neighborhood, you know, but someday soon we will be able to take it out on the highway. So it's going to be fun. And one last thing on that is like, it's wild to me, even as I say these words, we built shelter to have 50 temp controlled drafts. Right. And the most we've poured so far is 15, which is uh, crazy. So we're looking forward to turning that up all the way uh, once things get back to normal as well. Well, I would imagine for all your concepts, including this one, that um, everybody wants to get back to 100%. Um, and, you know, maybe going slowly is better for everyone, you know, for both diners and those in the industry. Um, I'm thrilled that 25% is coming back up, hoping it stays there. I don't know. I mean, I can't crystal ball that no matter how much I'd love to. Um, I don't know what comes next, but it is exciting that you were able to open up this project, have it be successful and see even more success on the horizon. Um, down, you know, it's exciting. So I wanna thank you all for joining me today. Um, Michael Babin, Yvonne Medina and Greg Engert. Um, they're at the Roost, but you also know them from a neighborhood restaurant group who has a variety of properties all around the DC metro area. You should check out NRG Provisions if you wanna get the DL on everything else that they're doing. Um, and thank you too for joining me today on Industry Night. Um, top of the show, you heard Kathy Hollinger talking about the state of restaurants in the DC area. She's gonna be joining us regularly. And uh, next week we have another terrific show. Uh, we are gonna be getting into uh, African-American chefs and what they're doing in the city. It's going to be an excellent conversation. I'm really looking forward to it. So thank you again for joining me on Industry Night. Reminder, buy gift cards, order to go, order for your friends, order for your neighbors, do something to help out area restaurants. There's so many ways to do it. Check out the list, areyouonit.com and follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And everybody, please mask up, Dip your bods in sanitizer. Be safe and have a delicious week. Thanks, Nikki. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Real Fun DC.